Although the representation of women in political decision-making spaces at national and international level seems to be on the rise, UN Women has already predicted that gender equality will not be reached for another 130 years. Only 21% of government ministers are women, with only 14 out of 195 countries have achieved 50% or more women in cabinet. Although more than two-thirds of countries have applied gender quotas to open space for women participation in parliaments, only three countries globally have 50% or more women in parliament, and the same amount have no women in parliament at all. That's according to UN Report 2021. In order to end all forms of discrimination against women across the world, they need to be incorporated into key political institutions, and their participation as leaders in global governance cannot be under estimated. South Africa, our very own country, is one of the at least 17 countries that has women or female foreign ministers. Since 1994, all but one of the country's foreign ministers have been women. Race and patriarchy have historically subjugated the position of women leaders in South Africa. Both white and black women in South Africa have culturally been idealized as mothers and not as political influential actors. The role of black women in the liberation struggle has been recognized. And today, we shine the spotlight on one such a woman who had an opportunity to serve the country at national and international levels. Ambassador Nozip Joyce Mkakatodiseko, South African Ambassador at Large for Peace and Security, Human Rights and Development. Good morning. Welcome to Ubuntu Radio. Good morning. Good morning, colleague. And thank you very much for the invitation for for me to come and have a conversation with you. Hey, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this day for quite some time now, and I'm glad that you graced Ubuntu Radio Station uh, Studios. So, Your Excellency, would you kindly share with us um, a brief background about yourself, the person and the life of yourself? We look at your upbringing, your family, what you enjoy reading, the kind of music you listen to, as well as what inspires you. Thank you, thank you very much. I am a child of Soweto. I grew up in Soweto during the times of apartheid. I was fortunate to have a family that insisted on uh, education Mm -hmm. and in spite of the levels of poverty that we had, went out of its way to make sure that I had opportunities to uh, be educated. And um, I also got involved in the struggle in the course of uh, my life, it was inevitable. We we, we were faced, I I think, with a situation that for most young people is really very difficult to imagine now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 that you could live in a situation where your whole life was governed by the Group Areas Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're found in a spot in town, you could either be arrested under the Vagrancy Act or the Group Areas Act and all of that. But above all, it was the limitation of opportunities and uh, chances for the black child and uh, black meaning uh, Indian people, uh, people of Indian origin or Asian origin and colored people and Africans, uh, uh, as it were, through the different education systems created to show up white supremacy. People forget that. We had different education systems, Bantu education mm-hmm. uh, for us as Africans that was intended to inculcate a sense of inferiority in us. 
white people had Christian national education mm. whose primary purpose was to instill in the world child a sense of white superiority. So those are the kind of things that we, we grew up with. There were very limited professions we could follow. It was unthinkable that I could be a diplomat. It was unthinkable that I could be, you know, an African woman could be an economist. It was unthinkable that beyond teaching, nursing, and a few mm. other limited uh, uh, professions, True. which were also limited in scope to serving the African community, that you could uh, uh, go beyond uh, those horizons by design, uh, by uh, design. So the struggle was inevitable for us. I got involved. I was a teacher. I taught the class of 76. Wow. Uh, Seth, uh, Mazibuko, and all of them. And not only that, mm. I was their maths teacher. Mm. I was supposed to teach them in Afrikaans as well as their English teacher. And that was a problem for me because I'd been taught mathematics in English. Uh, although I continue to teach in English, we all understood that that was untenable because the design or the intention of the apartheid regime was to literally uh, uh, stifle our ability uh, to learn or the ability of the black child to learn. And what happened then is history. So in 1976, I know many of the children who are grown up now who were running around and were on strike for a considerable amount of time and uh, took to the streets uh, to face a heavily armed state. Mm, mm. Not just a heavily armed state. People forget that South Africa was a apartheid, was a nuclear weapon states, state. Tell me, how was it like being a woman and being actively involved in politics at uh, that time? Were you, were you uh, uh, viewed as being too forward or something? No, or not necessarily. Not with our generation. Mm. We just had to do what needed to be done. So, mm. I mean, we we're just talking about this yesterday with comrades, the organization of June the 16th of the March at the DOCC Hall. Things just, we did what needed to be done. Mm. There was no delineation of uh, race, gender, or anything. And equally, the, the response of the apartheid regime didn't discriminate between women and uh, uh, men. Its brutality was as severe as anything. And uh, 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 so for us, I think, that is why, that is why. I, I don't think people remember this. When in 1994, after, in 1990, after Mandela was released, and um, the first encounter between the African National Congress and the National Party was going to take place, we looked at the list of our delegation mm -hmm. and found it was male, and we said, no can do. And it had to be changed. Mm. Uh, we had uh, the late Maruth Mompati, Cheryl Carolas being part of that uh, uh, delegation. I was in Sweden as the chief representative of the African National uh, Congress. So from the beginning, by virtue of the fact that we'd been involved, we insisted on having representation. You couldn't just have a group of men going to meet Clark to talk about our future. But also in the negotiations, that is why the provisions of the Constitution today are sensitive to the needs of women. But the way in which the South African Constitution defines South Africa 
is on values. We are a non-racist and a non-sexist state. So to be sexist is fundamentally unconstitutional. And we insisted on that being included in the Constitution because we had learned what had happened in other struggles. We'd seen what had happened when Thatcher had come into power in the UK, that it was very easy to toss aside uh, 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 programs and laws that protected women because there was no constitutional protection of all of those uh, 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 things. So to get back to your question, I think we were comrades in arms we were equals, mm-hmm. we did what needed to be done, and the risks were equally the same for everybody. Did you have to leave the country at some point for I exile? Did. Yes, I went into Tell me exile. about it, tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's as if you were with us yesterday. We were talking about the different routes that we we, we took. I, I had to leave with my daughter, and uh, we, we were driven uh, to Botswana, but on our way to Botswana, we had an accident. Our car overturned. We don't know what happened. And, and, and we found ourselves in this small town, Coston, at about five o'clock. And African people told us to get away. Mm. Because after five o'clock, for Africans, that spoke ear. Mm. Which meant, if you found in that area, and an African man or a group of them felt, you know, the they wanted dance. to kill. Yeah, yeah, the popesal dance. <laughs> the, you know what? And so we had to use back routes and go to villages. And luckily, we got an old man with a rickety taxi who was willing to take uh, 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 us. And the war in Botswana, because we'd fallen off the radar, we didn't arrive at the time we were supposed to arrive, was just unbelievable. But we, 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 we made it. <laughs> were, you, were you not injured in the accident? Yes, I had. We were, my daughter it was. was minor yeah, injuries. Yeah. Okay. Minor injuries, but mm. uh, nothing serious or anything like that. Okay. Let's fast forward to yeah. your career in diplomacy. How did it all start? Would you share with us your journey until you joined the department? It started with the way in which the African National Congress structured it's a, a struggle against apartheid mm-hmm. on pillars. Uh, the, there was the underground pillar that culminated in things like the United Democratic Front mm-hmm. and mass mobilization in South Africa. But um, an important pillar of that was the international uh, pillar. I was chairperson of the African National Congress in the United Kingdom and Ireland. Uh, uh, and when Mandela was released, uh, the late, a uh, late icon, President Mandela, was released, that coincided with um, an election in Sweden, which was funding us and in actually funding the transition, the whole transition. That it, it coincided with the loss of elections by the Social Democrats for the first time in 45 years. Mm-hmm. They lost an election. And they, 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 they were succeeded by a coalition of conservatives and a mixture of other parties. So I was then sent to Sweden as the chief representative of the African National Congress mm. to continue mobilizing resources for 
air there, transition. That was my initiation into diplomacy. You had to negotiate. You had to explain. You you had to mobilize. Uh, you had to think creatively about how the negotiations were going to unfold, what would be needed for the elections. So we mobilized money for what was called voter education, elect, you know, education for democracy, because many people had never voted. So you needed to be sure that when they voted, they they didn't spoil the ballots. Mm -hmm. And so that work had to be done everywhere in in, 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 in the country. So there were how many, uh, and in those countries actually we were treated as embassies of South Africa. As, so I had more prominence in Sweden. As South Africa, the apartheid regime had a small representation that was called a legation. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first initiation into it, and naturally after 1994. Uh, we were the first batch of uh, uh, people from the progressive side to be put into what was then the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, uh, then uh, to begin the transformation of uh, our representation uh, both here in the, in, 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 in the capital and uh, abroad. I then became part of the first uh, second wave I think of ambassadors who left. The first one to go out was Ambassador Barbara Masigela, followed by Ambassador Josiah Jele. Barbara Masigela, Comrade Barbara, went to France. Ambassador uh, Jele went to New York mm -hmm. as our ambassador. And then I was to follow that. I went to um, uh, Austria, but also was accredited to the UN, mm -hmm. uh, uh, covering the International Atomic Energy Agency and a whole range of uh, international structures, but also additional to that, Eastern European countries. Well, if you have just joined us, this is The Diplomat on Ubuntu Radio with Thelma Ngobini. I will be spending time with you until 12 midday Central African time. I'm having a conversation with Ambassador Nozi Pojoyce Mkagatodiseko, looking at women in a diplomacy. Um, let's just take a short, short, short commercial break before we continue with this conversation. Don't be fooled into smuggling drugs in exchange for money or a free vacation. Many South Africans are currently serving lengthy prison sentences abroad for drug-related offenses, often in deplorable conditions. Do not accept gifts from people you don't know very well or offer to carry parcels, letters, handbags, or suitcases for other people when traveling abroad. Remember that in some countries, drug convictions carry the death penalty. This message was brought to you by Ubuntu Radio in partnership with Durko Consular Services. Ubuntu Radio. Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. This, this is Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio. A better South Africa, a better Africa, and a better world. Welcome back. You are on Ubuntu Radio with Thel Mangobeni, spending time with you until 12 midday every weekday. So uh, I continued this conversation with uh, Ambassador Nozipo Joyce Mkakato Diseko. Um, Ambassador, I went through your CV. Yes. And I couldn't help but marvel at the amount of work you have done on various platforms. So I know this one will be a very difficult one to, to answer because it will be difficult for you to choose moments. But 
I would like to find out what has been the highlight of your diplomatic career and why? It's every single moment I open my mouth and say, on behalf of the Republic of South Africa. Mm-hmm. I cannot explain what that means. At that point, I'm speaking mm. on behalf of my country, on behalf of the nation, and every single person in this uh, 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 country. Mm. And I'm cognizant of the potential of the country, how far it's come, and the challenges that it has. Mm. Mm. But above all, the potential that it, it, it has. So it isn't any... I've done, I mean, momentous things like... Uh, I've been involved in the nuclear disarmament uh, era where we were able to uh, raise a treaty prohibiting nuclear weapons. But I've also been involved on climate change where my team and I actually produced the Paris Agreement on climate change. It wouldn't be there if we hadn't actually started strategically uh, from uh, Durban. I've represented South Africa, the human rights uh, a, 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 a council, a whole range of things that I have done. But in all of them, it is the minute I sit behind the flag of South Africa mm. that I both aware of the enormity of, 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 of the responsibility that comes with it, but at the same time, the privilege, the privilege for somebody like I, like myself, who grew up in Soweto, didn't even know there was anything as an option to follow. Didn't know I could be a diplomat. I could choose to be a diplomat mm. because by law that was ruled out by the apartheid regime. Wow. Amazing. So what has your experience been like as a woman working in diplomacy for so many years and also having occupied important posts such as that one of South Africa's permanent representative at the United Nations in Geneva. I am struck by the rich talent that South Africa has and the ability of South Africa to come with innovative solutions to very difficult problems. But yet at the same time, South Africa doesn't believe in herself on the whole. Mm. And my conclusion is that it's because we are in the making of the miracle of South Africa. We're inside it. We are the ones that are making it. So when we run up against difficulties, we immediately, you know, start screaming and, oh, it's falling apart, it's falling apart. South Africa, democratic South Africa, is less than 30 years. Mm, mm, mm. But the milestones that we've achieved are incredible. The mark that we've made is just extraordinary. Just last week, we got the highest number of votes to go back to the Human Rights Council. We were not just voted back. We got the highest number of all the countries that were competing to go back to the Human Rights Council. So it's that dichotomy in how we view ourselves. We are, I usually say that where there's a a challenge in the UN, put a South African and they will unscramble it matter-of-factly. Why? Because we've had to solve our problems. We had to transition ourselves we didn't have the UN here in South Africa. No. We didn't have any agency managing the transition. We had to manage it 
and that means talking to each other, screaming at each other, uh, being dis- you know exasperated, but at the same time being inspired to find solution because we all believe in the country that we have nowhere else to go. Mm, mm, mm. So, with that said, in your view. Are we doing enough as a country to empower women in diplomacy, particularly with regard to peacekeeping, security, and promoting human rights? Uh, I'll answer that in two parts, uh, in in terms of what is being done domestically, and then come back to uh, the, 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 the issue of ADECO, which is governed by the Public Service Act. That has its own limitations in terms of what it allows to happen with regards to a service like the diplomatic service. So we've got good women in the department. We've got good women representations of, uh, representatives uh, uh, abroad. And we have a policy to advance women, mm-hmm. but we don't have the freedom to do as we please in that in terms of fast-tracking women because the Public Service Act does not allow that. For every single vacancy that opens, it must be advertised. Mm. So women necessarily then have to compete with people that come from outside. You can't career path a woman and say, here's a bright woman. And I've worked uh, 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 with brilliant junior diplomats. Mm. In other countries, those junior diplomats would be pathed You'd look at them and say, okay, in five years' time, this is where we want them to be. In 10 years' time, in ten years time, this is where we want them to be. Mm. Because underneath it all, you've got the Public Service Act that requires that when a vacancy opens up, it must be advertised. Mm. So you cannot guarantee that a woman will do very well and be able to sail through uh, 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 that uh, 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 process as it were. So there are positive things that have been uh, done, but there's still much more that can be uh, 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 done uh, to empower uh, uh, women. Why is it so important for women to participate in global governance as ministers of international relations, ambassadors, foreign service officials, etc.? And uh, um, become heads of institutions of global importance? Um, I don't know whether I say this as a woman. We solve problems. Mm. Our initial instinct is not to fight, but to solve problems. Many women are mothers. Mm. They've dealt with children. Mm. Mm. And Mm. they have to mediate between children. And uh, with women who are heads of single, heads of families, who are single parents, and uh, had families, uh, that is an enormous responsibility. But in the course of that, the instinct uh, that is developed is always towards solving problems uh, rather than uh, uh, shooting first and uh, 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 that kind uh, of thing. This does not rule out the fact that there are women who, who can be so aggressive and similar to men and instinctively resolve things or see the the response natural response to conflicts as uh, war and uh, things uh, like that 
this is what I have observed that women tend to bring in skills that are different that uh, are amenable are amenable to creating a climate conducive to finding solutions rather than uh, 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 bogging them you know creating deadlocks and uh, things like that well, as a parting shot, I know things are different now. People start um, careers in diplomacy in a different way as compared to back then because you had to be actively involved in politics, for instance. What kind of a message would you like to pass to young women who want to pursue a career in diplomacy? I would say go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the experiences we have are incredible. Comparatively speaking, when you compare us to civil servants, other other public officials, and, and, and the experiences we have are just incredible. Mm. I have an, a, 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 a young diplomat official that I respect, who was part of my team on climate change. She's just come back from India, where she served in India. She's back uh, 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 now. So the ability to experience different cultures uh, through postings, the ability to engage in negotiations as a matter of your job description, which other departments don't get to do on a daily basis. Mm. A stock in trade is negotiation and a stock in trade is talking. We talk to people about our country, we sell uh, uh, a country, all of it, not just one uh, single uh, department. What I love about diplomacy is that there is always scope for growth. Mm -hmm. You grow. Mm -hmm. You really, really grow uh, in ways that I think uh, that are not uh, uh, the same as if you were in a line department uh, focusing maybe in one particular area. Yeah. Mm. I, I concur with that. I, for one, was working for the public broadcaster, and I'm here now. And you're here and I feel now. like I'm growing. Right, so you deal with Brazil, <laughs> you deal with India, you have to deal with uh, uh, the UK, you need to know everything. Yeah, the thing that, uh, 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 that is fundamental to diplomacy is that you must know. Mm. You cannot not know. What There's is no happening way. in the world? There's no way you, you, know, you need to be informed in exactly. a way in which people don't understand. I was talking to my sister yesterday about the UK crisis, you know, the financial crisis they were having. And she was like, oh, really? I have to know about that. Exactly. Because it informs my work. Uh, 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 you cannot say, I, I didn't realize. <laughs> there was a run on the pound oh. <laughs> yeah indeed I am growing really because if I compare the scope of, of uh, the station that I'm working for now which is Ubuntu Radio mm. to the one that I worked for before it looked big but in terms of growth Mm. This one, it's big. It's, it's, it's at a bigger platform. I tell my former colleagues that, you know what? I used to go to outside broadcasts, go, but now I'm doing international outside broadcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. for me, that is growth. That is growth. Ambassador but also for, I was explaining this to a journalist, the important role that Ubuntu Radio plays. Mm -hmm. And by the same argument, the important role that our media 
uh, uh, could be playing in Africa because your reach is right across the continent. Of course. And when people look at us, they know that we have no bias. Uh, there's freedom uh, of speech mm -hmm. in South Africa. So the media can write whatever it is that it writes. We can say whatever it is that we would like to say. That gives us the potential to influence events in, a, in the continent mm -hmm. in a way that is extraordinary. But it comes with responsibility. Of course. It really comes with a great deal of re responsibility. Well, Ambassador, it has been a pleasure having you in studio today. Thank you so much for taking time out Thank of your you. very busy schedule to speak to us. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Thelma. Thank You're you. Welcome.